King of glory, we bless you for loving us. We bless you for being our God, O oh Lord. Up to this point, we want to say Ebenezer. You've been with us to answer our questions, to carry our burdens, to help us with your guidance and shine your light in our darkness, O oh King of glory. You've been one that redeems out of uh, redeems us out of the fire. You've been the fourth man in the fire. Like we oftentimes say, you created the way through the sea, O oh King of glory, many times. Forgive us, Lord, for focusing on the wrong things, oftentimes desiring to be like the world, and yet we are far better off even if we don't have a single thing as long as we have you. So, Lord, continue teaching us in the truth of your word, and may you answer questions that are seemingly hard, even on our walk on this divine trail as we come to where you are. We bless you, encourage us, Lord, and teach us to know your truth, for we know that when your truth comes, it sets us free and absolutely free indeed in you. We bless you, we worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed and believed. And all the saints of God say, Amen. A wonderful morning and to you, blessed saints, uh, wherever you're picking this message from, my name is uh, Levran David Kagwa, uh, reaching you with this message of Christ to the Church of Christ without borders. I do not really, really uh, look at denominations as long as someone is born again or they want to become born again and focus on Christ. That is what uh, there is to mind about. Today, I'm in very high moods. Um, as usual, why? Because of the joy of the Lord. It's not that I hit the jackpot or anything <laughs> of that nature. But friends, when we learn to live after the glory of the Lord, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing that is incomparably beautiful. You cannot relate it to anything else. Okay, today we are back to continue uh, looking at a glorious, glorious theme. And this time it is actually unique. It is entitled... Um, and the questions that believers and non-believers alike ask, the questions, they had questions that believers and non-believers ask. And uh, today we are going to be answering a question that came through uh, one of the people that follow these uh, teachings and say, Leverand, uh, may you continue please to talk about uh, blasphemy or the unforgivable sin. Use examples if possible. And I'm going to do that, my friend. The unpardonable or unforgivable sin or blasphemy. Uh, today we are going to look at that. The question basically is, what is the unforgivable sin? What is blasphemy? In other words, this person, when I could hear their spirit speak, in other words, they are saying, uh, is, is there a possibility of me not getting forgiven and ending up in eternal damnation? Oftentimes we are bound in some sin and you get to think that what if I died now, wouldn't I end up into eternal damnation? I hear that is the spirit in which this kind of question could be asked. And oftentimes uh, people of that nature are doing things that they don't actually want to do, but all the same, they are doing them. They know they are wrong, but you can't break out. I lived like that in bondage uh, because of uh, habits at some point, my friends. And I tell you that the Holy Spirit will be ably answering this and guiding us about it. Uh, permit me to go to Matthew uh, chapter 12, because that is where it actually comes from. Uh, Matthew chapter 12 and uh, verse uh, 22 onwards, we are going to read those verses and then we'll be able to answer that question very, very sufficiently. Uh, this is what uh, Matthew 12, 22 reads. Then they, bought, uh, then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him. 
so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? That is that is phenomenal right there. That is very important to unlock in that scripture, that verse, um, this portion. But when the Pharisees and the line Pharisees heard this, uh, they said, um, it is only by Beelzebul, um, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus uh, knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If uh, Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can uh, a kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? <laughs> so then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Praise at the name of the living Savior. That right there. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Friends, once again, the Lord has, the Lord speaks and he has an accent and uh, his accent is called uh, proper interpretation of scripture, as simple as that. God has an accent and his accent is the proper interpretation of scripture, as simple as that. So friends, you cannot understand this except if you get it and treat it in the proper context um, of, um, you know, uh, the scripture where it is embedded. Uh, our question comes from a uh, verse, um, verse uh, 31 and 32 of Matthew chapter 12, where we get to see uh, the Lord himself saying, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So friends, there are lots of other questions that come up here that I'm not necessarily going to exhaustively answer, but I'm going to be uh, responding to one major question, and that is none other than uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or the unforgivable or unpardonable sin. That is what we are going to be answering today. One question that could easily come up here is, does that mean that the Holy Spirit therefore is greater than Jesus Christ? <laughs> <laughs> that is one that can easily come up, you see. And then, um, but that is something that is easy to understand. Of course, if you understand the doctrine of the Trinity, but above all, if you look at the, um, the context of the scripture here. Okay, let us answer this in detail. Now, friends, we say that God speaks and therefore he has an accent and his accent is making the right interpretation of scripture. That is how you get to understand the Lord very very well for you to get to understand what the lord is saying here at the center of um this message is matthew's way of presenting issues matthew's teaching as we see it here matthew basically has has five 
um, discourses. We call them discourses or teachings. And then he follows this up with a narrative. He has five discourses and he follows up each of the discourses with a narrative. He has five ways of presenting his message or teaching. And after teaching, he presents or he affirms uh, everything he has taught with a narrative. Now, there are five discourses. The first is basically uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, that is the first major discourse. Uh, that is in Matthew 5 uh, to Matthew 7. Now, Matthew 8, 9, um, Matthew 8 and 9 is basically um, a narrative that affirms what uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, teaches. The next discourse, which actually is where this message is embedded, is the mission discourse. You can choose to call it the mission discourse or Matthew's teaching on mission. You can call it the mission of um, the, tw the, the 12 that are sent out. In Matthew chapter 10, we see um, um, the mission of the 12 when the Lord sends out the 12. So he's basically sending them out and he shows them how to do mission as they are reaching out. Remember, Matthew writes, and at the back of his mind is he's presenting as Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, basically to the Jews in his uh, spectacles. That is what he's basically uh, looking at. But it doesn't mean that it's only for the Jews, but that is how he presents him. He's writing to them and he says, hey, look here. Here is the Messiah, the son of David, that was promised many years ago. Here he is, look, he's come. And how does he present him in these five discourses? One, the Sermon on the Mount that presents Jesus as the fulfillment of the law. In other words, the Jewish law that had troubled people is fulfilled by Christ. In Matthew chapter 10, then this, since he is the Savior, the Messiah that we've always waited for, he sends um, these uh, 10 out. You see, he sends them out, of course, with authority and power to go and do mission. Now, when he sends them out, what actually follows up is uh, uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12 is an elucidation or an expansion of the mission discourse. Of course, uh, chapter 13 is going to be another discourse, uh, which we call the parabolic discourse or the teaching of the parables of the kingdom. You see? He's now established the kingdom, kind of, and now he's showing you how it's going to be working. Later, uh, chapter 18 is another discourse or teaching, which is the childlikeness of the believer. You see, now that you've come into the kingdom, how ought you to believe? And later, um, in the last discourse, in Matthew uh, 24, 25, uh, we call it the Olivet Discourse. Basically, he's teaching them about his going, how he's going to offer his life and how he's going to be living and going back to heaven, uh, stuff like that. Now, let's get back to the discourse where our point is, and that is uh, the mission discourse or the sending of the twelve. Now, if you have that at the back of your mind, you're going to realize that chapters 11 and 12 of Matthew cannot be any different because they are basically an elucidation of the major point that he makes in chapter 10, which is a mission, sending out the 12 of mission, reach out unto them, bring people unto me, go and make disciples, or bring people unto me and let them accept me. Now, in a, a chapter 12, uh, chapter 12 of Matthew presents Jesus Christ um, 
uh, on, 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 on how he is accepted and rejected. You see, he presents him as the Lord of the Sabbath uh, at the beginning of chapter 12, you see, and then from verse 15, he presents him as God's chosen servant, and then chapter 12, verse 22, where we started today, we get to realize and see Christ um, receiving a demon-possessed and mute man. Now, this was unique amongst the Jews. You're demon-possessed, you're mute, you're also blind. This was the extremest of, uh, you know, bondage. And up to till that point, such a person had never been healed. But the Jews had always looked forward to a time when um, a man called the Messiah or the Anointed One would come who would have the power to deal with that kind of situation. Now, let me take you to uh, Matthew, uh, no, to um, um, Isaiah chapter 35. Let us go to Isaiah chapter 35 so we can get to understand this now you're going to know that all the while they were actually waiting for a man that would be in position to handle that kind of situation they knew at some point he would come actually amongst the jews every time a boy was born they when they took them to the temple for dedication they tried to find out could this be the messiah all over those years that is what they did now in a Isaiah 35, uh, Isaiah speaks of this. The verse I want is verse 5, but I'll read quickly from verse 1. He says, The desert and uh, the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like uh, the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will uh, rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of uh, Camel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, uh, say to those with fearful hearts, and this is actually where Don Moen gets his song, say to those who are broken hearted, this is where he gets that song, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, don't fear, your God will come, he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you then will the eyes of the blind be opened you hear that that is key then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped then will the lamb leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in uh, the desert now what um isaiah actually does here is he portrays to you the judgment of the nations vis-a-vis -vis what God is going to do to the redeemed or to his people, the remnant, that shall choose to put their faith in him. And he shows you in one way what he's going to do for them. But ideally, this has gotten uh, Messianic intonations about it. In other words, it has gotten overtones of the Messiah or um, the anointing of the Messiah about it. This ideally would be something that would not be fulfilled um, any other way except when the Messiah comes in the millennium and also in the post-millennium reign or in the kingdom of the Messiah of the 1,000 years, but also beyond when he redeems Judah or Israel, brings it back unto himself and is able to protect it and shower it with the blessings that he actually uh, promised. But in a sense, this was fulfilled in a sense, partly, I'm not saying wholly, because Isaiah 
and makes his prophecy, uh, prophecy with a, a near term and a long term uh, fulfillment. Now, in a sense, when Jesus Christ came and he was able to deliver this man or heal uh, the, 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 the people that were blind and miraculously open up their ears, open up their tongues, release their tongues that were mute and they could speak, release them from these bondages, you could see that this in part points to what Isaiah was actually saying there. Now, this is why you hear these people say, could this be the son of David? Why? Because they were waiting. They are waiting for the Messiah all along. And you know that in a um, Matthew 1, 1, he's called the son of David. Um, Matthew says this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see that? That goes right back to what um, the Lord promised to David, uh, giving him a covenant uh, in Samuel um, when he made a covenant and he said that he would come and establish his kingdom forever and would make him sit uh, on the throne of his father. That is what he means there. Now, if you go back to our question that we are asking here, basically, uh, these people are asking, could this be the son of David? And ideally, he was. He was. The problem is, and the center of this message is, that we are speaking of the Pharisees here. Now, who are the Pharisees? Jesus is addressing the Pharisees in this um dispensation here. He's basically addressing the Pharisees. He's the ones that he's addressing. He goes right ahead and heals this man that is demon-possessed one, who is blind and mute too. He goes ahead to heal him and set him free. And most people knew and accepted and agreed and acknowledged that the one that would be able to do that, as promised, as prophetically promised, would be the Messiah. Now, the Pharisees were teachers of the law, and they were, you know, um, vested with the responsibility of teaching the law and basically leading the church, would say the equivalence of the church, the church hadn't started yet, but the equivalence of faith amongst the Jews in those days. They basically knew that this was the Messiah. They knew it. They really knew it. But they go ahead to reject him. Why? Because they saw that by accepting him and surrendering to him, in their mind, they realized that this would topple them, set them aside, and therefore give the center stage to Jesus Christ. And this wasn't something they were willing to do. This was where their entire problem and feud with the Lord Jesus Christ was. They didn't want to get out of the limelight. They didn't know that they should actually have taken on the anointing of John the Baptist and surrendered to uh, the Savior, as simple as that. For them, they wanted to remain at the helm of the control of faith or religion at that particular point. You see, they were more of kingdom builders, personal kingdom builders, instead of building the kingdom of God, fighting the very one that they should have served. This is where their problem was. Now, I have a task of proving that the Pharisees actually knew what they were doing. And uh, this we can easily find in Scripture. In Acts chapter 4, and remember the book of Acts actually um, is the full title should be Acts of the Apostles or Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, I prefer to call it that way, um, was actually accomplished in the same time as the Pharisees lived. You remember that? Because this we are talking about the Apostles of Christ 
and this was actually at the same time as the the apostles lived as Christ lived so it is an appropriate interpretation here in Acts chapter 4 we are going to take this from verse um, 13 I think the Bible says when they saw who the Pharisees are the scribes um, the leaders when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them there was nothing they could say so they ordered them to withdraw from the son Henry and then conferred together you see why are they sending them away <laughs> listen to this verse 16 what are we going to do these are the Pharisees or scribes and all these leaders the council of the 72 talking uh, what are we going to do with these men they asked they asked everyone living in jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it you hear that but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name which name the name of christ jesus you see where the problem is the pharisees knew exactly that what the apostles were doing was of christ was of the holy spirit it wasn't of their own but they simply vehemently defiantly chose to refuse to submit unto the establishment of christ you see where the problem is mm? uh, so these were the pharisees in verse 5 of acts chapter 4 you can see that they're the pharisees and the scribes and the leaders of the people he says the next day the rulers the elders and the teachers of the law met in jerusalem Annas, the high priest was there and so we caiaphas john alexander and others of the high priest family they had peter and john brought before them and began to question them by what power or what name did you do this uh, they are contesting the miracle that the lord had done by the hands of P peter and the the apostles of um, healing the lame beggar that had been lame and undeniably lame for over 40 years now you can see this let me just do one other um illustration and then i'll hit um the nail right in or through the coffin uh by answering the question jesus himself uh puts the pharisees online uh between you know a, a confrontation between him and them in matthew 23 he oftentimes refers to them as hypocrites hypocrisy uses this over seven must be about seven times and seven in scripture is the number of completeness um meaning he brings perfect judgment upon them or in other words they were perfectly guilty that is what he means there but one verse that actually comes out well he says it several times in matthew 23 but one verse that does it very well is matthew 23 27 when he says woe to you teachers of the law and pharisees you hypocrites and now you want to ask who is a hypocrite simple a hypocrite is someone that will pretentiously go against something or say one thing meaning another but yet actually knowing the truth that is why the lord uses that word there you are like white washed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean it's like they knew exactly what they were doing when someone the image that the lord is painting is when someone whitewashes a tomb it's not that they think it is a white house no they know it is a tomb they know they are 
dead people in there, they are smelly. There's a stench probably or rottenness, but they choose to clean it on the outside. You see? So this is what the Lord is saying. Now, bottom line, the Pharisees exactly knew who Jesus was. That is the point that I've been making. They knew who he was. Now, let's go back to our uh, theme scripture and uh, get to see once again what they said. Now, in uh, verse 24, when the Lord heals this man, what do they say? Uh, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said it is only by Belzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. You see that? And Jesus goes right ahead and shows them that there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of the enemy, the kingdom of, uh, and then the kingdom of light. He says, the only means by which I can subdue this kingdom is because I come from one that is greater than it is. In fact, the greatest, you see? And he tells them, you're simply denying this. Why? Because you're defiant, you're disobedient. Otherwise, there's nothing to deny here. That is what the Lord is saying. And then this is where he comes to the point of answering our question. And he says in verse 31, and he says, And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the, in the age to come. What does the Savior mean here? What he means is, in context, that the Pharisees exactly knew who the Lord was. They were equipped with adequate, in fact, more than adequate truth uh, to know that the Lord was the promised Messiah, but they simply defiantly chose to not to submit to him. This is where the problem is. Now, when Jesus says that, what he actually means is that there is no hope and forgiveness for a person who definitely and defiantly refuses to submit to the Lord or to the prompting of the Holy Spirit for that matter. He doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit therefore is greater than Christ because we know that he is the only means by whom we get to receive the Spirit of God in our lives. That is if we submit to Christ. Romans 8, 14, 15, those who are led of the Spirit of God are the sons of God. You understand that? You remember that? So what he actually means here is they knew the truth and yet they defiantly refused to submit to the truth. So what does it mean to have an unforgivable sin? The Catholics or Roman Catholics teach about sacrilege or a sacrilegious sin. And for them, they say there is a sin that cannot be forgiven and they don't relate it to this. Uh, for them, it is some uh, some kind of big thing that you won't have forgiven. Actually, for them, you have to go to um, a Catholic father, kneel before a confession box and get forgiven. That is extra biblical. It's not from the Bible. Because for us, we know, according to Luke, um, um, according to Luke, Luke teaches us, uh, what chapter is that, 24? Um, um, of, of, you know, he teaches us, verse 45 onwards, that uh, um, we know that, um, that forgiveness that is written that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So for forgiveness and repentance only comes through Christ. And uh, the Apostle John reminds us that if any man repents, um, he definitely, the Lord is true and just to forgive us. Yeah, true because he promised it just because he has done it on the cross. You see, that is the only way you get forgiveness, my friend. No other way. There's no other way. Going to a confession box and pleading before someone does not set you free. Yeah, the only person you talk uh, to about your sin is probably one 
a brother that you need prayer with to a person that you've wronged. That is the only way that you get help. Uh, uh, you, you get to talk about a sin with someone else, yeah? But ideally, forgiveness comes from the Lord. But to wind this up, what the Lord is teaching here is if someone knows that what they are doing is wrong and they continue doing it, if I constantly live in immorality, I leave my beautiful angel Esther and I go and find a second wife and they talk to me about this and I I vehemently deny this. I'm like, there are people that have seven, yeah? But why are you not talking about them? And I start condoning my personal sin, defending it. Then this is defiancy. But that is not yet um, condemning me into blasphemy until I die. Why do I say that? Hebrews 9.27, for it has been appointed for man to die once and thereafter judgment. You still have a chance until you breathe your last. Yeah, that is when it is sealed as a blasphemy. You see, of course it is wrong even when you're living. Yeah, it is wrong even when you're living. But the reason we say you still have chance is you can have a turn around at the last moment, even when that is not what God wants, because our lives have been created for his glory. He wants you to live for his glory down here, not just to survive hell, you know, and go into heaven. No, he wants you to live for his glory down here. There are many of us that are living in sin now, knowingly, and this is what the Lord calls blasphemy, even if, and there's no way that someone can claim that they did not know, because um, when you go to Romans 1.18, um, it teaches you that everything that there is to know about the Lord has been made known unto us through that that is created. And therefore, he says the wrath of God comes down upon a man of disobedience. Why? For suffocating the truth that has been revealed unto them through that that has that that has already been created you see so there is simply no way around this now the point is god doesn't enjoy taking people to hell not at all this is why he sent his son but he says if you get to know the truth and you refuse you defiantly remain in in sin that would be blasphemy why because god has made it and the truth available for us to know, to discern, and therefore to, to follow. But once you refuse, you know, they, they, they tell you that pornography, masturbation, uh, you, you see, uh, indulging in sex, even if it is the use of sex toys, and someone says, but I'm not getting involved with any man here. And you start condoning it. If you die in there, that is a sin, ideally, that God calls unforgivable. But uh, that scripture does not actually mean that there is a sin that God cannot forgive, like most people are worried. Not at all. Not at all. If God forgave people that crucified his son, you know, uh, because uh, at the, on the cross, the Lord says, the Lord forgive them for they know not what they are doing. If Let me tell you, if Judas Iscariot had gone to Christ and told him, I'm sorry and ashamed of my sin, yeah, Jesus would have forgiven him. I assure you that. I really do. There is not a sin that God cannot forgive. But his problem is when we refuse the truth and we are defiantly embedded in our sin and we remain in there. You see, we remain in there. Uh, that is what he calls a blasphemy of the spirit of God. You see, because it is impossible, especially uh, for we believers to do something wrong 
and you do not get into uh, knowing that what you're doing is wrong. But also for the world, remember John 16, 8, he speaks of when the Spirit of God shall come, he will do what? He will uh, convict the world of what? Of sin. So it is impossible even for the world to deny. The Holy Spirit makes it possible. The world doesn't have the Holy Spirit, but um, through uh, Romans 1, 18 downwards, there are various ways, even the conscience, that someone gets to know that what they're doing is wrong. Now, if they die in their sin, that is what the Lord calls blasphemy. And uh, basically, that is his meaning. It doesn't mean that there is a sin that God can't forgive, but he can forgive it uh, only when people turn around and they go to him. So, friends, that is what we we are heard today. My prayer is that if we are still living in sin, if you're living in sin, you're tied up in there, you're tied up in immorality, you're tied up in, a, you know, a promiscuous relationships, you're tied up in cheating, making those funny deals at work. Yes, they're bringing you money, but you feel in your conviction in accordance with Romans 2.15, you feel what you're doing is wrong. Friend, leave that. Those are warning signs. They are sirens like the ambulance will run. Everyone gives way. Um, there are sirens that are running and God is saying, look, get out, break out. There's nothing that I cannot forgive. If you die in there, if you simply die in there, just know that uh, then there is no chance. That is basically how that question can be answered. Um, I want to invite you to Christ. In Acts 17, 30, the Lord says that uh, the, the days of ignorance, the Lord chose to overlook, but now he's inviting all men to turn unto him through repentance. Repent and turn around and come to the Lord. This is how all of us have lived in the past, messed up lives, but the Lord patched us up and straightened us and made things well. Um, today, if you're struggling in sin that you can't live, you keep doing it. Um, I want to pray with you, friend, not as one that is better uh, than who you are, but just as one that God has given this podium right now, this opportunity, I also walk by grace and in Christ. He has made me a saint and he can make you the same. Tell him, dear Lord, I surrender my sinful life and I want to come to you today. I know that I cannot overcome on my own, but today I realize that by coming to you, I can be saved. I surrender my dirty past. I surrender my guilt and condemnation. I know I've done this many times, but here I am surrendering unto you. Thank you, Lord, because of who you are. In Jesus' my name, I've prayed. Amen. If you've done that, just know that you're born again. Uh, keep trusting the Lord. Uh, join a fellowship of believers. When the church opens, pray at your home, study the Bible. I was like that. I used to walk in terrible sin, in pornography, in masturbation. And I felt like God was not going to forgive me, but he actually did. There is no sin he can forgive. Friend, may the Lord bless you. Keep sending your questions. Tomorrow, God willing, I'll be speaking about the tithe. There's a question that came through a minister, and we shall be teaching that in detail. May the Lord bless you. Um, see you, God willing.